Mastermind Agent is proud to present success calls. Top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com. Hi, I'm Mike Cerrone with Mastermind Agent. This month's top agent is Ruby Henderson with Keller Williams in Raleigh, North Carolina. Last year, she closed 196 transactions with a total sales volume of $56 million and a GCI of $1.5 million. Her average sales price was $286,000, of which 58% were buyers and 42% were sellers. She has a 15-member team, four buyer agents, one listing specialist, two inside sales agents, one outside sales agent, two listing coordinators, two closing coordinators, one operations manager, one team manager, and one team leader. Ruby Henderson is the team leader of Team Ruby. She's been an agent for 19 years. In her best year, 2015, she sold 232 homes worth $57 million, and she sold over 2,000 homes in her career. In this call, Ruby talks about not selling any homes their first six months in the business, then earning twice her previous annual salary in the next six months, working weekend open houses to develop a database of leads, her belief that failure is not going to be an option, building her team and her volume to 196 homes sold while personally selling over 80 homes last year, mistakes made along the way, including the air of focusing on volume while ignoring profit, how to mend relationships with neglected past clients, her annual marketing plan to past clients and sphere of influence that resulted in 45% of her business last year, running a barbecue client appreciation party at the park, including cost per person, the difference between an inside sales agent and an outside sales agent, team dynamics, profit margins, and more. First, a quick word from our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three-part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript.com. That's freereferralscript.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the call, Ruby Henderson and your team manager, Charlotte Cox. Thanks, Mike. Well, Ruby, before we talk about what you're doing today, let's go back for a minute and talk about what you did before you got into real estate. I was a social worker, Mike, for 20-some years. I loved working with the people, but I just could not, with the restrictions that the state puts on, I couldn't really help the people for all the rules and regulations. I was a social worker for 20 years, so I feel like that really kind of set the stage for what I'm currently doing. So with that, you learn how to talk with people, really listen to their needs, and hopefully provide services and get them to their next level in life. So I think it was a great setup to be in a social worker. And what pulled you into real estate? Why did you decide to transition into real estate instead of something else? My mother was an interior designer. I grew up in that field, so I always loved homes. I loved going in homes. I loved that aspect of it. In fact, she had wanted me to follow in her tracks and take over the business, and she was going to send me to Paris, and that was not my desire. All I wanted to do was to help people, so that's why I got into social work. But I had always been enticed by, by homes, by real estate, was just concerned I could never pass the test. But I just finally made up my mind I was going to pass the test and I was going to do what I'd always really wanted to do. 
And I had little sales jobs in between as well while I was a social worker. So I did enjoy promoting things that I really believed in because I didn't consider it a sale. I considered it as something that's just helping people and, and letting them know something that I had that could benefit them. So that, in fact, I guess turned out to be sales. So the combination of wanting to help people and doing homes and, of course, the whole aspect of sales, I was intrigued by it. Let's go back to the very beginning. That first year, did you have a fast start or a slow start? I had a pretty quick start, Mike, because I'm a workaholic. And like I say, I passed the test and I gave my resignation. I left the state on a Friday, started real estate the following Monday with no break. But I couldn't wait to get started. And I didn't have time to linger around and build a business. So I had to hit the ground running. And that's exactly what I did. I just started doing everything back then when I started which was 19 years ago. There was no real guidelines for how to do it. It was just they sat me in a cubicle, gave me a phone book, and said start a cold calling, which I never did in my life and wasn't going to. So I had to figure out ways to go out and get in front of people, which is what I did, which I think was a great benefit because that's exactly the basics of what all the trainers teach you to go back and do now. But that was the only way I had of getting leads because there was no such thing as Internet leads. So I think that was definitely a benefit. So we've got people that are listening and they're just getting started. And they'd be curious to know, what did you do that first year? You said you were getting in front of people and you weren't making cold calls. So what were you doing? I was doing open houses. That was before they had all the internet information that they had now. So I was doing open houses. I did open houses in one of the big new home construction site developments in our area. I did them every single Sunday for two years. Never sold one of those houses, but I agreed a pretty huge database doing that. And then when I started getting listings, I was going door-to-door in the neighborhoods, just introducing people to my listings and to me. So I was doing the things that they're teaching now that you're supposed to do that everybody back there told me I was crazy to do. So that's how I started. I didn't have any other way of getting in front of people because I didn't have a huge database. Very good. And do you recall how many homes you sold that first year? No, but I know my first six months, I didn't sell anything. And then the second six months, I pretty much doubled my income from 20 years as a social worker. But I don't recall the number. I think there was 500 agents in our company at that time. It was Colwell Banker, and there were 500 agents in our company. And I was, quote, their achievement award winner. I mean, and I increased my business more than any other agent in a year's time that was in the company. So like I say, I didn't have time to waste. The first six months when things weren't quite working out as far as income-wise, you had no income the first six months, how did you push through? Well, I was one of the fortunate ones because I did have income. I was um, out. I didn't my full retirement, but I did have some slight retirement coming in. And the rest was just, um, I was hitting the payment. I came into it with a mindset there was no going back. I would, you know, if I had to go to Hardy's or whatever, I would, but I wouldn't turn it around. So I came in with that mindset that failure wasn't going to be an option. It wasn't, and I did fine. Well, let's move forward. You said you've been in the business for 19 years now. How many homes did you sell last year, and what was the sales volume? Last year, we actually sold about 208, but we had some of those transactions that did not close um, during that year, so they transferred into this year. But we ended up with a closed, buy, a closed number of 196 at $56 million. Wow, that's fantastic. Congratulations. Thank you. Would you mind disclosing to us what the GCI was on that? Our team's GCI was $1.5 million, and mine was 827600 Wow, so you're still in production. Oh, I am right now. Mm-hmm. Do you recall how many of the 196 homes you personally sold last year? It was 80 or 90. Right now, part of our issue, and this is why we're not hitting our goal so far, is finding buyer's agents. 
So we're restructuring things, and we're very, very, very low on buyer's agents right now, so that did hurt us. So we had a lot more so we had, but I probably did 80 or 90 on maybe listing myself. So Ruby, you're focusing on the listing side? Um, the only thing I do, Mike, is I do I do listings. I do have one listing specialist that does the business and expired, but I just do the listings that the people who are like past database or people who call me, those kinds of things. But the FISBOs and expires, I have a listing specialist that does those. Uh, very good. And we're going to come back to that. To finish up some of these basic stats at a big picture, your best year, I think, was a different year. How many homes did you sell in your best year? What year was it? And what was your sales volume? That was 2015. I think we sold 232. That's when I had eight buyer's agents, which we normally like to run about six or seven. We're down right now to about three or four. We're currently hiring others right now as we speak. But that was when I had eight buyer's agents. We did 232 transactions, and our volume was $57 million, a little over $57 million. And do you recall, for the last item, how many homes have you sold in your career? Oh, gosh, over 2,000. That is fantastic. Well, let's do this. Let's let everybody know where you are. Could you please tell us, where is Raleigh, North Carolina? Raleigh is in the central Piedmont of North Carolina. Raleigh is the capital city, and it's a population of around 1.2 million. We're probably about 20 minutes away from the Research Triangle Park. Could you describe your current real estate market? Our average sales price, the last time we looked for resale, was around 245000 Average new construction is around 365 And when I looked, this was maybe a month or so ago, the year-to-date closed sales were up about 8%. Um, the average sales price was up about 8%, and the average days on market was around 35. Um, hours right now are around 18, which is my team for around 18, but the average for our, our area is around 35 days. But we have a tremendous shortage of inventory, and that's kind of been an issue for our buyer's agents. I've got my buyer's agents are sitting around with clients in hand ready to put offers on houses, and there's no inventory to sell them at certain price points. That's a common problem happening all over the nation. And I'll be interested to find out what you're doing to bring in more listings. Let's talk big picture a couple more minutes. What are the top three ways that you're generating leads into your business? I was surprised um, to see that a lot of it, I forgot what the percentages are, about 45% of our business comes from past clients because we really have all these big plans like doing more with our past clients. But the little bit that we do, which is very little bit, we are trying to improve on that and staying in touch with our database, but about 45% of our business, when we go back and look, does come from our past clients. And good Lord, why they even call me, I don't know. Some of them I hadn't been in touch with for quite a while. But once we really get that system more finalized as far as how we do follow up, I think that will be double that. But we do stay in touch as much as we can with our past clients. We do get togethers every now and then. We do anniversary cards. We do those things. But we've got a lot of room for improvement at that position. So that is probably our main source of where we do business. The next, I think, is generated by the internet, maybe about 35%, something in that range. But that has to do a combination of Realtor.com, Zillow, and our own personal website, which is FindRaleighRealEstate.com. Let's go ahead and dive right into some of these areas. So first, what I'd like to do is actually talk about your past clients and sphere of influence, since that's your biggest source of leads. Let's break that out a little bit. You said 45% of your business is coming from it. Do you know how big your database is of past clients and sphere of influence? The next voice you hear is Charlotte Cox, team manager, joining our conversation. 
There's currently in our database, let alone that's on a drip campaign for past clients, there's currently over 4,000 people in that database. And is that just the past clients or is that also include some of those internet leads? That 4,000 is just past clients and serious influence. That's in one database. So we have a second database that has over 17,000 people in it. That is our internet. That's just solely internet that comes in from all of our internet sources. That is a separate from the other. Uh, very good. Thank you. The moral of that story, Mike, is we could do a lot more business than we do had we had more organized systems to stay in touch with these people. So this is one of the main things we're working on, which everyone should be doing that from start. Um, and I neglected that for many years because I was so busy out looking for new business that I wasn't tending to my own business that I already had uh, that people were actually calling me from. So just definitely following up with your database, giving them service, and staying in touch with them because everybody tells you <laughs> that I didn't do You know, Ruby, that's a common issue that we run into. I've done it myself. Others have done it where we have neglected our past clients. And then we realize that's such a great source of business and they're great people. We want to get back in touch with them. When did you get back in touch with them? And how did you open the door back up after you had not been talking to them for a while? Was there something in particular that you did? No, I just started calling people that we just recently had transactions with, thanking them for the business. We started sending them anniversary cards. I think last summer we started actually having team events for them, like cookout. We have little pizza parties once a month where we meet, and we're building that up now. We're starting to really, really build and work on that aspect, but we just started that basically last year. We also took our past clients in our sphere of influence that were already in our top producer account, and we created... Um, a 33 touch. We created a holiday program, touch program. We created anniversary um, notifications as well within that top producer account and put everybody on a drip campaign that was in there. There's a sphere of influence or a past client, buyer or seller that's in there. It's in that specific account and put them all on a drip campaign too. So they've all been solicited to as well. So that was something else we added the program as well. Let's get into, well, first of all, let me go back and I want to make an observation. And that is you didn't really have a formal follow-up program until about a year ago. And yet you were still producing an amazing amount of referral business from your past clients. Did that just happen that people just remembered you and called you up? Or were you doing something before you got into a formal system about a year ago? Were you just bumping into people in the store? Or they just happen to call you because they just happen to call you? My God knows why, but they weren't just calling me. From, some of them from 11 years back. And like I say, it just made me feel so bad that they even remember me. And some of them even remember my phone number from that long because I've always had the same phone number. And it just made me feel terrible every time I got a call. <laughs> so that was one of the things that made me. And I have just got to start staying in touch with these people. But they all knew how much I really cared about them. I guess I made a good impression because I was very protective, just like I was as a social worker. And they didn't forget it. So they did call us um, just out of the blue, which was embarrassing, to be honest with you. Well, I'm glad that it worked. You must have made a great impression on them initially. Let's do this. Let's talk about the formal program that you're putting in place. Let's walk through those 33 touches. Basically, what would happen in the course of a year in your 
annual marketing plan to stay in front of your past clients and sphere of influence? What are the things that you're doing to stay in touch with them? For instance, are you making phone calls? Are you sending out snail mail? Are you sending out emails? And then how often are you doing each? So we have different things. There's a plan that has some phone calls into it. There's emails that go out. There's anniversary cards. There are thank you cards. There are happy birthday cards. We know birthday. So there's different things that go in. There's pieces about the market that go out, updates on the market. There is a notice of if there is a holiday, such as, let's just say, 4th of July. They get a happy 4th of July something from us. So it's not all related just to real estate. It's just something to keep us in front of them and keep our name in front of them on a regular basis. But Mike, I have not started calling these people like I should. So that's going to be included in that as well because we are in the process of trying to improve always. So there will be also intermingled with phone calls, with visits and those kinds of things. That would be the correct way to do it. So at this point, you have not been making the phone calls or the visits. It sounds like you've started maybe either a mail or an email campaign, and that's what's been started up so far. Is that true? That's pretty much true, uh-huh. And it will be even better once we start the phone calls. I absolutely think you're going down the right path, and it's very exciting. So we're looking at what you've been doing and then also what you plan on doing in the future. So you mentioned you try to structure a lot of these contacts around holidays. Did you pull out a calendar and then look at each month to see what a holiday was during that month? And that would be something that you would then send out a notice? Yes, I do have someone in my marketing department that does that. And he did do those kinds of things. He put it on the calendar and was, you know, taken to that calendar with that. And are you typically sending out by email or snail mail? It's typically by email. Now, the letters and things like that, we certainly send by snail mail with the thank you notes and some of the cards that we send them, but the rest of it is pretty much by email. And then you're sending out an anniversary card. Is that for their wedding anniversary or their house purchase anniversary? It's for their house purchase. We have a little house card that we send out that we ordered um, that we send them out and congratulate them on their anniversary when they purchase or closed on their home. And then you also mentioned a cookout, and some monthly pizza parties. Tell me more about that. Um, We had last summer, and we'll be doing it again. We've had two. There's a big park that has a little shelter. So we had it catered with barbecue, and we had about 300 and some people that attended that. That went very well. So we'll be doing more of those. We tried one in the fall. We didn't have quite as much attendance as we did the previous one. That was probably more our lack of planning rather than the people not coming. But what we started a few months ago was we started out having everybody who'd closed during that month to attend a little get-to-go that was just a pizza buffet and just chicken wings, that kind of thing, to get together at a local place. Um, and that's been going over pretty well. And so we're expanding on that as well. We're starting to include our, some, just any of our past clients who want to come. So that is an aspect of something that we're trying to build up as well. Wow, that's a great idea. I hadn't heard of that idea before to do a monthly party for the folks that just closed during that prior month uh, to reconnect and bond with them while they're thinking about you right there. That's pretty smart. Yep, it's been pretty successful. And when you do that, is your whole team there? You bring in your buyer agents in there, the folks that may have helped them purchase, for instance, and then you're there, the person who probably helped them sell. Is that who's at the party? 
That is correct. Now, sometimes our whole team can't attend because they're doing other things, but that is what we request is that our whole team be there and especially a lot of the buyers agents who can make it. And we do have it sponsored also by some of our vendors like our lenders or our home inspectors. Are uh, you doing that for lunch or dinner? Is there a particular day during the week? It's usually, I think, about from 5 until 7 is when we typically do that. We typically try to do it the last week of the month, around the Tuesday or the Wednesday of the month. So right in the middle of the week. Yeah. And how are you getting the word out for the party? Are you emailing? Are you phone calling? How are you getting the invitation out? Typically, I do it through an evite online and then set up reminders for it to go out a couple of times throughout the month. And then we also are going to start calling prior to the event as well now and making sure everybody got the invitation. If you send out 10 invitations, how many people typically show up? It's just going to depend on the month um, and what people have going on. If you send out 10 invitations, you're probably looking at anywhere between two to three. But you got in front of people. You were able to send that invitation out, make a contact so it's worthwhile. And if somebody's listening who doesn't have a lot of closings in a month, they can do it maybe every quarter instead of every month. Absolutely. The main thing is just to let them know that you're thinking about them. Just try to get them gathered because when they're there together, they all like you. And so they're all talking to each other about how satisfied they were with you. How can you do it? I think anything's better than nothing, which is what I did for years. <laughs> Absolutely. And you mentioned that you've started up these barbecues. You had one in the spring and one in the fall. The one in the spring was a bit more successful. You had almost 300 people there, which is pretty spectacular. How did you get the people notified to show up? What did you do to invite them? The same thing, we did the invite, and then we called a lot of the people, confirmed that, that they were coming. So a combination of the email invite and then just picking up the phone and calling them. We also did it through Facebook as well. And it sounds like it went well enough that you did it a second time. Are you going to do it a third time? Uh, we are. Mm -hmm. And you'll use the same format, a park and a barbecue? We'll probably do that. The second one we had was not a barbecue. It was like pies. I think it was around Thanksgiving, and we gave away pies, and we bought various things that we bought. So it wasn't the barbecue, and it wasn't at the park. But the barbecue and the park with the train rides and everything for the children really was more successful. I think we'll probably go that route again. The main thing is just to get them together, let them know that you appreciate them, and just serve food. Because you serve food, they have a tendency to come. When they came to you at the park, the barbecue, did you hand out name tags? Did they have to check in or register or sign up for a raffle? They did. They signed up when they came through the line. Um, they signed up. We had name tags, and that's how we did it. Mm -hmm. And they all sat at the table, were packed, and they all talked about how great we were and how much they loved us, which was wonderful. And Ruby, did you make a speech at one point, or did you walk around and mingle? And Mike, I don't make speeches, if I don't. <laughs> but yes, I did walk around. I talked with each person, and I interviewed people that where I thought would be, you know, good company. I introduced them to each other. So yeah, we had a good time doing that. If somebody was listening and they were thinking about putting together a big past client appreciation party, say a barbecue in a park, what advice would you give them? Wow, that's a loaded question there, because there's so much that you can do on preparing for that, I would say is they need to figure out who their their true sphere of influences are, whether it's past clients, friends, family members, and start with that list and then pull together who, you know, their clients from there and then decide how many people they have 
that they want to invite. And once they have that number, then decide the venue. And then that's where you're, you know, that's where you're going to have determined big, you know, the biggest obstacle is going to be is to the venue. It's going to have to hold enough people for you. So that's the biggest thing is start early. Start planning six months in ahead because it takes a lot of time to plan it. And also, like, too, I think the constant reminders, because people will say they're coming and they forget it. So I think letting them go ahead and put it on their calendar and then just that constant reminders. You mentioned something interesting. It sounds like you did not invite all 4,000 people in your database. You reduced the invitation list down to a smaller number. Is that true? Oh, yes. We definitely did. And tell me a little bit more about how you decided who you would invite. Um, it was more people, Mike, I think, that we've done business with because I had told you I was really ashamed that I hadn't been in touch with some of these people. So I think it was more people in the recent, I don't know, maybe four years that we'd had transactions with, maybe even three years we'd had recent transactions with that we actually sent the invite to. In the next one that you're going to do, will you increase that? Will you send the invitation out to more people? Um, it's a possibility. I mean, it just depends on when we decide to start looking at the numbers and looking at everything's done off of a budget too. So when you start planning your yearly budget, you have to look at, you know, come January 1st, what you're planning your budget to be. So you have to keep the budget at the forefront. And so you just have to keep that as your main objection and making sure everything lines up with that. You don't go over that. So it could be that we invite more and we do a different venue or it could be that we invite less because we have to do a different venue to hold more people. So it just depends. It really does. It just depends on how much the venue's going to cost, the food's going to cost. So you have to take all of that into consideration too when you're looking at where you're going to do it, how you're going to do it, and so forth. And also getting your vendors lined up, like your lenders, like your possibly attorney, home inspectors, anyone like that who also wants to contribute towards that, because that was a big help as well. You know, you brought up a really good point. You had 300 people there. What was the cost of the event, the total cost of the event? After everything was said and done, it was roughly about $2,200. Was that just your portion, or was that the entire cost of the event before the sponsors participated? That was before these sponsors participated. And were the sponsors able to help you zero base it? Yes. It sounds like just under $10 a person that showed up. Correct. So someone could do it on a smaller scale or a bigger scale, and that'd be a good rough rule of thumb for them for how much it's going to cost. You're starting off small. smallest thing you could do is an ice cream party. And you could easily find somebody who could cater ice cream for you. And ice cream parties are really good, too, to have at parks when it's not too hot, so melting everywhere. But your springtime, going into summer, going from summer to fall, you could easily do an ice cream party one. So somebody could easily start off with a smaller scale. Good idea. To wrap up the barbecue party, you had 300 people, about $2,200. And the question people are going to have is, what about the results? Did you see results at the party? Were people giving you referrals or immediately after the party? Yeah, we did. I can't tell you that number, but we did have a lot of people even at the party saying, yeah, you know, we're going to tell our friends or whatever. So I can't tell you how many transactions because unfortunately I didn't keep the numbers on that. But 
I think too, the more you do it, also the more successful you will be at getting referrals from that. Because we really didn't talk about referrals or asking for referrals at that, which there's probably more ways you could do that. So, But some people just off the top of their head started giving us referrals, but we didn't want that aspect of it. We didn't specifically ask for the referral at that party. You know, that's one of my questions I like to ask in this section is whether you specifically ask for referrals or if they're happening just because you're around, just because you're talking to people in a general sense. And it sounds like it's the second. You're not specifically asking for referrals. Is that correct? That is correct. And like I say, our people talked about us to each other, about how much they enjoyed the transaction, how much they thought of us. So um, it was people talking on our behalf to each other. That's one of the reasons I would introduce people. I would pull them over and introduce like similar people who I thought might have things in common. And they would, of course, start to talk about us. So I think that just kind of put the bug in their mind about referrals as well. I think they have the old saying, I don't know if I'll get this right, but it's something like 90% of success is just showing up. You put these things together, you put these people together in one place and things start happening. Even though you weren't specifically asking for referrals, you've been receiving them. That is correct, Mike. And it just, it makes me sick. Like I say, I could write a book on things not to do for probably 15 years. But then all this money and all these expensive things and then your true um, business is coming from, as they've always told me, I was always out looking for something else, but it truly comes from your database of people you know, people who like you and trust you. And you just really don't have to spend all these huge dollars trying to find people who don't know you or who don't trust you. It sounds like you're going to refocus on that. You already started refocusing on that. You're going to continue to add more elements to your 33Touch program to stay in front of those folks. You also mentioned you're going to make calls. Have you started making the calls or is that something that's going to be new? I have started sporadically. I don't have a systemized way of doing it. I do have my whole thing, first of all, was to get a place in my own office set up such that when I walk in, that's what I'm going to do in that one spot. So last weekend, I was here all day on Sunday organizing my office and trying to do that rather than trying to do that in the midst of everything that's on my desk. So I do have a designated place in my office with a specific desk with just my cards, my list, and that kind of thing. And that is where I'm going to start to doing more of what I should be doing. But one of my team members, it was so funny and it was so good um, when he saw all that we were doing and all that we were paying for leads and all the internet things. He was saying, yeah, it's kind of like a, an example of we're sitting in the middle of the desert on a cooler full of steaks and we're sitting there saying, where is our next meal going to come from? And we're looking everywhere in the desert for our next meal. We're sitting right there on a cooler full of steaks. That's the same thing with your database. Just stay in constant contact with the database. They already know you. They trust you. They like you. And then you just have to start to work them for referrals. And then you don't have to spend all these huge amounts of money on other sources to generate leads. Well, thank you so much for walking us through and letting us know what you're doing there. What I'd like to do now is I'd like to shift over and talk about your internet lead generation. You said that's about 33, 35% of your business, about a third of your business. And if I recall, you had uh, Realtor.com, Zillow, and I think FindingRaleighRealEstate.com. Let's go through each of those and what you're doing in your internet lead generation. So for each one of those, we have an ISA, or we have two ISAs, and we're looking for a third ISA because we have so many leads coming in a month from all of our sources. We have about 500 leads coming in. So we have so many leads coming in, it's hard to keep up with them. And so the ISA takes the lead once it comes in, and they try to convert the lead. They follow up with the lead. They put the lead on a follow-up plan, and they're the point of contact. They reach out to them. They stay in contact with them. They get them pre-approved if they need to for a loan. 
they stay in contact with them once they go over to the agent and the agent starts showing them property. So all of our internet leads come into a to one database and they work the lead on a daily basis. So that's how all of our internet leads come in to us and how they filter through our system. How big is your database of internet leads right now? Last time I looked, which was about a week and a half ago, we had roughly about 18,000 leads sitting in there. So seventeen, eighteen thousand. You have two ISAs, so each ISA has about eight to nine thousand that they're trying to keep up with. Some of those leads have closed with us, so if they've closed with us, they're in our other system where they get put on a automatic drip campaign, thirty-three touch, so they don't have to watch those that are under the closed program. They're basically taking those that are active, hot, you know, warm, those that are in the process of looking. Some of those are are out. Some of those we haven't spoken to, and they're just sitting in the database, and we're letting the system continue to work for us on our behalf and letting them know they still have access to be able to log in, see what's on the market, and we can watch their activity so we can send them a message every now and then to say, hey, so you were back online, so you were looking at a specific property, give them information about it, or we can look at what they're looking at, go find a house that's on the market and say, hey, don't know if you saw that this house was also on the market, but it kind of meets the criteria or what you've been looking at. And it's just a way for us to engage somebody who may have never responded to an email or opened an email that we may have previously sent before. So there are some people in there that have closed or that when they reached out to us already had an agent. And of course we don't we don't work with to already have an agent because, you know, we're very respectful of others um, who are in this business. I'm just looking at the numbers here real quick. I'm not sure if I got this right, but I think you had about a third, about 35% or so of your business last year came from internet leads. So about 65 closings or so, and you got 18,000 in the database. You're following up with them. It looks to me, if I'm doing things right, that about one third of a percent is converting or converted last year. How long have you been doing this program? How long have you been adding internet leads to your program? I would say I've only been with Ruby a little over a year and a half, and we've really just started cracking down, I guess you could say, for probably the past year on making sure that we really are sticking to a follow-up program. Previously to that, I think it was just, it was going to the agents that were here and they were on duty and the agents were responsible for doing the follow-up. And of course, we all know agents get really busy and their forte is not follow-up, especially as a buyer's agent. If you disprofile them, their forte is not follow-up, nor is it paperwork. That's why there's a compliance department. So it's one of the things where we decided that we needed to take it back in-house. And that's when we really got our ISAs in place. And we put one ISA in place to see how that would go. And we just put our second ISA in place. And now we're looking for the third to put in place. And to elaborate on that, Mike, when we were stretching our teams and hiring new buyer's agents, we had some others that left. When we went back and looked at a lot of the leads that were signed to agents, in one specific case, a third of all the leads had not even been touched or opened. 
and then others, they had a staff contact, and people were ready to go look at houses, and they never followed back up with them. So that's why we found that we were struggling with what to do with that. So we just found it best to have them going to one person, let that person follow through with them. Um, and then when they get to the point where they're ready to buy, then assign it to the buyer's agent, because then they have their hands full with the actually finding the homes and working with the person and getting them under contract. Now, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television, where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now. Open Google and search Real GTV. That's R E A L G dot TV. Now, back to the show. Are you seeing better results with the leads now that you have the ISAs in place? I think so. Um, the one we've recently hired, she's she's staying in touch with them. She's already set a bunch of appointments to get them face-to-face with the agent. Well, you're adding another, a third, so it must be working for you. It must be something that you feel confident in to invest, this inside sales agent. The inside sales agent, let's talk a little bit more about that. What does their day look like? Are they making phone calls all day long? Yes, she sits right there in the office all day long, and she's following up on these leads. She's talking with them. She's sending them follow-up information in the mail, and she's also those that are ready to go now or semi-ready to go now. She's setting appointments for them to come in and actually meet face-to-face with the agent. And most of the leads that are coming out the Internet, they're buyer leads? I'd say the majority of them are. Mm-hmm. And let's talk about the sources for how the leads are flowing into the business. What are you doing with Realtor.com to generate leads in? How's that happening? I'm still trying to find exactly what we're paying for and how that works because they keep changing things and we're still continuing to try to find out what we're actually paying for in Realtor.com. But typically we were purchasing zip codes and we were getting leads in those zip codes. We were featured home in some of those areas, but Realtor.com is in the process of changing how all of that works. So we've been in touch with our rep now. We're starting to cut back a lot on what our expenditures were on Realtor.com. But we were purchasing leads from Realtor.com. And how about Zillow? What do you do with Zillow to generate leads there? The same thing. Again, it's gotten very confusing to me because I'm not very internet savvy. We're trying to find it exactly. I know how it used to be. And then they completely change things, especially in our area. We do have featured home. I know that. And we're not purchasing any leads really from Zillow. We don't spend nearly as much money on Zillow as we do Realtor.com. No special reason other than that's just how it's kind of always been. Not to say that's right or wrong, um, but we are definitely trying to cut down uh, the majority of our expenses on Zillow and Realtor.com because we can generate them on our own from our own website and just contact in our database. Because when you start spending a lot of money on internet leads, you have to really watch the ROI on that. And to add to that, Gary Keller of Keller Williams, one of the owners, founders of Keller Williams, got together with Zillow and created the my listings, my lead program with them. So that also helped us on this end with the leads, with the my listing, my lead aspect of it with Zillow too. Well, what is that program, the my listings, my lead program? Well, that's what we all are trying to figure out because every time you ask one person, you get one answer and you ask somebody else, you get another answer. But the best way I can can describe it is it puts us as a Keller Williams agent. So if it's Ruby's listing, it puts her on every single one of her listings as the agent. Whereas if she was a Remax agent, 
she may not be on her listing. It may show another agent on her listing. So there's some other things to it, but Ruby can give you some more information on, on that as well. No, I can't, Charlotte. <laughs> I keep talking with my rep, and it is, it is so confusing that they can't even explain it to us, and we've, we've gotten several calls into them. But what I just can tell you is that I know one year when I was spending so much money on this when I was with another company, I was minus 20, and that was before I had somebody watching my numbers and before I became smart. I was minus 23,000 one year, but I was just spending up the yin-yang and a lot of transactions under my belt, but my ROI was very, very, very low. That and it was a minus in some situations because I was way overspending, and I was not leading with revenue. So you can get hooked into that very easily with Zillow and Realtor.com and a lot of this internet stuff. The more I get back to basics, the more profitable I become, and the more I business advance. I'm probably not the best one to ask about them or results on the internet. You do get them, but you spend a lot of money on that. You really have to watch your money. You have to watch what's coming in and what's going out to be profitable because you can really get hooked into spending more and more and more money on Zillow and Realtor.com. Now, you mentioned you're generating leads with your own site. You mentioned findraleighrealestate.com. Is that your own site? It's one of two that we have. So we have the Fine Raleigh Real Estate, and then we have the MyTeamRuby.com. So we have two sites. What we spend for leads on that is a fraction of what we were spending on Realtor.com and Zillow. Are both of those sites open sites? What I mean by that is, well, MyTeamRuby, I assume it has Ruby's picture all over it. The FindRaleighRealEstate.com, is that a branded site where you're talking about Ruby, or is it, I think, what they call a stealth site where it's just generic real estate and it's not really promoting Ruby? No, nope, it promotes Ruby. They're both Ruby sites. Okay, and how are you sending traffic to those sites? How are you getting people over there to take a look? Some of it's pay-per-click. Some of it's AdWords. Some of it is it's just advertised through you know marketing that we do. That's a lot of what it is. It's marketing, Google AdWords, pay-per-click, and things to that nature. You're running your own pay-per-click campaign? Correct. Do you have any advice for somebody who wants to run a pay-per-click campaign or any mistakes that you've made that you'd want them to avoid or any recommendations for how they can improve? Hire a professional. Hire the professionals. Don't try to hire a a little person who does it on the side. Go for the professionals because that's where you're going to get the most accuracy from because there are a lot of people who do things like signing and coding and, you know, stuff like that on the side because they know how to do it. That's fine and that's dandy. But in our business, you truly need to understand it in our business, in the real estate industry, because that's how you are able to grow your business, especially if you've never been in the business or if you're new to an area. That's how it's going to help you grow. So. That would be my suggestion. And did you hire someone there local? Did you hire a national company? Who'd you hire? We do have a local company, and then we have also we have another national company too. Oh, would you mind telling us who they are? Um, we have Techno Marketing, that's here locally, and then we have another company, um, Rizpa. They're national. On all the internet marketing that you're doing, have you run numbers to figure out what your percentage of leads are that turn into sales? I did that about six months ago. I have not done it for the past six months. 
just because we've had a lot of things come up and we've had some changes. I haven't had an opportunity to really sit down and do it. But typically I do do it just about every quarter. But I haven't had an opportunity yet to do it. We've had some staffing changes that we've had to adjust to and change. And so we've been working through that. And so I've had to refocus and get some administration things corrected first before I can get that squared away. Do you recall what the number was six months ago? Hmm, I do not. Not off the top of my head, and I don't have my file sitting in front of me. Was that 2%? Yeah, it was about, it's probably not as high as it should be. It seems like our internet lead conversion was about 2%, which is not as high as it should be. Yeah, and I think Ruby, you're right, because I think when we were discussing it, we were trying to look at getting it up closer to 5%. Yeah, but you really have to watch what you're spending. I can't stress that enough, Mike, because stupid me, I was just spending and spending and spending and no idea or anything. I wasn't tracking my numbers. At one point, we were spending something like, it seems like it was like $91 a lead for Zillow based on what we were spending versus conversion, $58 a lead on Realtor.com versus $9 a lead from our website. So you really have to know those numbers. Those are pretty dramatic differences. It sounds like you were doing dramatically different and dramatically better on your own website. I assumed you started to shift a lot of money over there. That's what we're trying to do. Like I say, we're certainly by no means where we need to be. We're still in the process of growing and changing and looking at things. The main thing, though, for me was just to be aware of what you're doing. Before, I was never aware of it. I didn't treat it like a business. I know that when I came to Keller Williams, when I was with the other companies, it was just to talk to as many people as you can and sell as many houses as you can. However, when I came to Keller Williams, the first thing they do is they teach you that you are a business person who operates a real estate business. So you start to think in terms of a business person. You know, what would you spend, what your categories, what the margin should be. And it makes you really focused on that. And once you do that, then you start to think other things about your business. So that was a big, huge realization for me. And great advice as well. And again, thank you so much for being so open and honest about your situation. Definitely what people need to hear. You need to assess where you're at and then make adjustments. Ruby, would you mind letting us know, have you taken the DISC personality test? I think I did a long time ago. I hate those things because they're so hard for me to figure out who I am. And I think I'm all over the board. IDSC is what he says I was. I'm not sure about that. A little bit of everything. Very good. A bit of everything. I definitely am. I think you definitely have to have enough D and you to follow through and make things are done correctly and to do that push. But you also have to be open and you have to be engaged and then people have to be able to connect with you as well. So you certainly cannot be all D or all I or all C. Well, Ruby, I'd like to switch gears and talk about something that you started early in your career, and it sounds like you've continued, and that is open houses. Sounds like you're continuing to do open houses and maybe mega open houses. Could you tell us a little bit about what you're doing there? Um, I've seen some people, I can't even think of the person on who does it. It's called a mega open house. I read bits and pieces of it, and I apply it bits and pieces. And I think, like he was saying, the average agent probably puts out five to seven signs. We put out usually about 20, 25 signs. It can take a long time. And, of course, it depends on the area that you're in as well. But definitely the more signage that you have out and the further out you put it, the more people that's drawing into your open house. We had one, I think our most successful was, I think, last year, last spring. And we, of course, do that coming soon. And then we start to put out the signs the morning of. And we stopped counting the 125th person that came into that open house. And we ended up with eight offers within two days on the house, going about 20000 above. But it was like an auction effect. And then you had people just hitting, you know, hitting each other's shoulders. You couldn't even walk in the room. 
we normally, in a very good area, would decide we could we usually get about 60 or 65 people who come through. Does that mean that you're doing these every weekend? I try to right now. We're short on buyer's agents to host them, and I would love to. I would love to do that. However, again, I'm having issues right now with finding the staff to host them. We are, in some cases, pulling other Keller Williams agents who are not on that team to host them, you know, to give them the opportunity of getting business as well. But I would like to be doing them every weekend, but right now we're not. But I would love to. As we hire more agents, which we're hiring right now, we are going to be planning to doing this every weekend that that is possible to do them. Yeah, you mentioned that you're getting a lot of traction, a lot of people through. Are you doing anything other than the signage to draw people into those mega opens? You should. You should go door-to-door, um, starting probably on a Saturday, inviting people to it. Unfortunately, we're not doing that right now. Again, as I told you, Mike, I could write a book on what I'm supposed to be doing versus what I'm actually doing, and that's why um, I was interested in looking at your videos because I'm always learning, even at the day. But technically, you should be sending out invites. You should be going door-to-door in the neighborhoods, as they tell you. If you could do the whole neighborhood, great. Otherwise, maybe 10 on one side, 10 on the other around your house to at least talk to the neighbors and invite them into the open house. There's all kinds of creative ways you can do there. But right now, we have not had, because of our limited um, agents, we have not had the chance to do that. But it would probably be much more effective if you could. But we are definitely drawing in the people without doing that at this point. Well, let's do this. Let's talk about your team. You uh, mentioned your team a couple different times. Let's give everybody a big picture overview of the team. So we have two listing coordinators. They handle the listing department and they handle basically all the listings when they, before they come on the market, getting them ready to come on the market till the time they go under contract. We have two closing coordinators. Um, the two closing coordinators handle them from contract to close for the listings. And then the two closing coordinators handle all of our buyers as well for all the buyers that are under contract. We have Ruby, our team leader, Myself, the team manager, we have an operations manager, we have two inside sales, we have one outside sales, we also have one listing specialist, so we have many people on the team. Everybody's job is unique. The inside and the outside sales, their job is to bring in the business, buyers and sellers. Right now we have four buyers agents, we're looking for a couple more. Their job is to go out and show property. The operations manager basically is Ruby's right-hand man and also does day-to-day operations stuff if something on technology-wise needs to be done. Then my job is to help where you need to be, help Ruby where there's needed help, run numbers, financials, set up processes, procedures, making sure things go through the system correctly, make sure we all stay in compliance and so forth of that nature. So, Overall, total, we have about 17 people on the team. Again, we're looking to add more buyer's agents, so that number is going to increase as well. What's the difference between an inside sales agent and an outside sales agent? So your inside sales take all the inbound calls. So those would be your buyers, inbound, inside. So you're basically, they're inside the office. They're taking all your inside calls. Your outside sales is basically they're outside of the office. They are door knocking on your sellers. On They're going to neighborhoods and they're knocking on people's doors, asking if they want to sell. They're calling people. They're cold calling. 
So those are your outside salespeople. They're the ones that show up at your door. There's Those are like your magazine people or your cable people who show up at your door or somebody, your Avon people who show up at your door wanting to sell you lotions and creams and vacuum cleaners and all those other people. So those are your outside salespeople. But smaller teams do have that um, one doing both inside and outside. The outside person they're knocking on doors, is that around the listings for Just Listed, Just Sold? Is that for these open houses? It's a combination of everything. He does it around open houses. He does it around houses that we've sold, houses we've listed. He even talks with our buyer's agents to find out neighborhoods that his buyers could potentially need or want to be in. And he'll door knock some of those neighborhoods to potentially try to get listings in there so that our buyer's agents can get our and their clients into some of those neighborhoods because we are so short on inventory in our area that if he can go door knock on neighborhoods that buyers want to be in and potentially get in that neighborhood, then we get inventory in that neighborhood and then we could do the same for a seller if we had to. So it's a combination of everything. Do you have a requirement for how many contacts that inside or outside sales agent needs to make each day? We're not tracking that yet. I'm in the process of creating a program for that. I've talked to many teams that already have that system set up, and we are going to start tracking that process here probably in the next month or so once we get the program created and get all the logistics together and get everything put together for that, then yes, we will put something in place and we'll have that in place for our team. Okay. So when you say a system in place, are you talking about a piece of software, an electronic tracking device of some kind, or are you talking about a sheet that they're marking how many attempts they're making, how many contacts they're making, how many leads they're finding? When you say system, what do you mean? It'll be all of the above. It'll be a system that they have to log in. It'll also be paper. Then it'll also be where they have to put their information into the system. So it's going to be a combination of both. So currently they're not being tracked? They are being tracked. Okay. They are being tracked, just not to the magnitude that we want. They have a spreadsheet that they have to fill out or they have to turn in to me weekly, every Monday morning. But that's just a piece of paper, um, and we're looking to expand that to a system that can actually physically track it as well. Very good. So you have a weekly report. It's probably manual. It's a piece of paper, and you're going to look towards a electronic reporting system where you can get more up-to-date information. Well, they do it via the Google Drive because we use the Google Business for our email. So it's a Google Drive spreadsheet that they just can go in each week and update. And they go in, update it each week, and then it's submitted automatically once they fill it in. The Google Drive saves it automatically. They don't have to save it. And then each Monday, it just has to be updated by Monday morning, and I'm able to see it on Monday morning. You mentioned buyer agents. It's been a little bit of turnover. You're looking to add some more. What happened there? Why did you have eight last year, and you've got, I think you said, four this year? When I first started hiring buyer's agents and what I was talking about, I was not operating my business as a business wife. If anybody wanted to come join my team and if they could fog a mirror, I would hire them. 
which, of course, was not the best way. And in serious, I think that's how probably most agents do it. I was hiring agents who really were not, a, well, I didn't really, first of all, even really discuss that much with them what their goals were, you know, set goals, realistic goals, whether or not they were um, willing to work on those goals to hit their numbers. And so I was just hiring anybody. And like I say, a lot of those were not good hires. And then when I became more involved in the business, as far as really watching my business, watching my numbers, um, I came to, of course, the, the realization that unless my buyer's agents hit their numbers, that there's no way I can hit my numbers as a team. And so then I started being very careful about the agents that I'm hiring. We have a lot of agents who want to join the team, but now we have a whole series that we put them through as far as the diff. We talk them in more detail about exactly what their goals are, their motivation to actually hit those goals, because anybody, of course, would like to make a million dollars, but the question is, are, do you have the tenacity and do you have the time and, and the drive to do what's necessary to hit those numbers? So we go into much more detail about what kind of agents we're looking for, what their, you know, what their desires are, and whether or not we see them as a fit for our team. So we're just restructuring for all that, and actually having a pretty good time at it. We're slow to hire, but we also follow up. Also, now for the first time, I've really followed up on the leads that we gave them, and it was interesting when some of them left, we realized how many leads they didn't even touch. But the more you know about stuff like that, the better it is. You can start to really monitor those things. So that's what we're doing very closely. Well, thank you for opening up. I believe we've all made those errors in the hiring process. It sounds like you're now tightening it down. As you mentioned, you're slow to hire and fast to fire if things aren't working out. You mentioned you're now doing the disc. You're looking at goals. I assume you're doing multiple interviews now instead of just one? We try to. I'm, I'm sometimes, though, and I can't show much advice. I can sometimes spot somebody when I talk with them, and I can just get a sense that they're going to be fantastic, and I'll hire them on the spot, but that's very, very, very rare. There's probably only been two people like that that I could actually do. But, yes, you should definitely have many, many interviews with them. That would be the preferred method. But, of course, sometimes every now and then that rare person comes along that you can just simply you get a gut feeling for and you can tell. When we talk teams, people are always curious about buyer agents and listing agents and how you compensate them. Would you mind telling us how you're compensating your buyer agents and listing agents? For the buyer's agents, we do the traditional 50-50 split. Is what we, we've got all different things from if they green the lead, then they get paid higher commission. But that just got to be very, 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 especially at the number of transactions we have per month. So that got to be very difficult to track to determine really where that person came from. Many discussions about it. People under the impression that that was their client that they had generated when basically it was not. So we just stopped all that. I mean, it sounded good on paper and I wanted to do it, but it just got to be a nightmare trying to figure out where they came from and the compensation. So we just did the straight 50-50 split. That makes a lot of sense. I've heard of people doing that more and more often now. <laughs> Explain why the old timers had started with the 50-50 idea in the first place. Anyway, that's a little side comedy. But the listing agent, are you also paying them 50-50? Well, I'm the only listing agent. I have a listing specialist, but I'm the listing agent. Oh, what does the listing specialist do that's different from what you're doing? He just basically works with the buyers and does those. The lead to the outside sales associate generates the appointments, and our listing specialist goes out and converts them. Ah, okay. And how do you compensate the listing specialist? I think Keller Williams suggests 25%. We're actually compensating ours 35%, but I think a lot of people do the 25% split depending on what they do. Now, you said the inside and outside sells. Let me back up. Is the listing specialist prospecting? 
they should be doing that. But right now, our listing specialist is not. He's just basically working the leads that are set for him by our outside sales associate, but he's very good at the conversions. Okay, so he's going out on the appointment. He's meeting with the seller. He's uh, interviewing. He's getting a signed listing. He's bringing that all back to the office. And then uh, your listing coordinator takes over. That is correct. Mm -hmm. Does the listing specialist negotiate contracts when they come in or inspections when they come in? Not every agents negotiate the inspections. I do a few of the negotiations as far as the ones that the, the listing specialist brings in. But typically, when the offers come in, I do let him negotiate those offers and put those people under contract. Once any of the, our contracts go under contract, the buyer specialist go out to the home inspection, and then they bring back the inspection report. And then at that point, the closing department handles it. They do all the negotiations and get them to closing so that that buyer specialist can get in the car and go out with the next buyer. So I assume that means that your closing coordinators are licensed? Uh, That is correct. We've talked about your big picture of your business, and the question that agents are going to be asking is, are you profitable? Um, Now I am. I can say my last year at REMAX, I was minus 23,000, or one of my years at REMAX, I'm not sure it was my last one. But yes, we are definitely profitable now, um, thanks to Charlotte Stan on top of me. Um, preventing me from ordering everything when anybody that called, preventing me from continuing to escalate my charges on Realtor.com and Zillow. I'm um, focusing more on my database and the things that don't cost that much money yet can generate more leads. That was very hard to me to do that and still is. I'm still not where I need to be on that on that expended tour, but it's just my mindset changed. Now I'm starting to gradually start to wean off of those. Are you reviewing, a, say, a profit and loss statement over some period of time, say over every month or every quarter? I do it bi-weekly. I do it every two weeks. So every two weeks you're looking at a P&L, and that's probably where you you started tracking, and now you can see where the money's going, and now you all can get a handle over those expenses. Correct, and I track the budget, and I do the budget every two weeks based on our closings. So every two weeks I do the budgeting, I look at the P&L, I look at what we have as debt, I look at what we have as income coming in, and I look at what still needs to be paid for the month. And so, therefore, I track everything. And, Mike, if you're not doing that, you are not operating a business. Well, or you're operating one that's having a challenge bringing profit to the bottom line, right? you got to get a handle on those expenses. That is correct. Again, it happens to all of us at different levels of the game. So I have a quick question. Charlotte, have you taken the DISC personality profile? Do you know what you are? Yes, I have taken the DISC. And do you know what you are? I am an ID. An ID? Yes, I'm a high I. My I is 100%, and my D is about a 74, 75 in that range. Thank you for letting us know that you're profitable now. Would you mind disclosing to us what your net profit margin is? From where, when I came in, Ruby was in the negative to where we are now. We have increased our profit by 25%. Okay, very good. And so when you say that, does that mean that your profit went from zero or, you know, slightly negative up to 25%? So if $100 comes in the top of the business today, $25 comes out the bottom? Correct. And that will continue to grow with the way that I have us set up. So come next year, come next year, or by the end of the year, 
the way I have us set up is that by the end of the year, we will be at 75% profitable. And Mike, that came from me just going out and joining, talking to people and, and putting people on a contract and taking every sales call that came <laughs> and buying everything that I thought was great and not watching my bottom line. I wasn't focused on that. I was focused on just selling real estate and having fun with my clients, which is not the way to do it, obviously. Well, it's certainly part of what the organization needs, right, Ruby? I mean, you need a master salesperson to go out there and make it rain. And now you're just adding to your repertoire by your own learning and taking in people to help uh, to get a handle on the expense side of the business as well. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. You're 100% correct, Mike. Yeah, we all grow and learn. And the best way to learn is to make mistakes. <laughs> and then we oh, make an adjustment <laughs> and we grow. <laughs> that's all of us. So thank you for opening and sharing that that's happened to you. And, and impressively, you're making the adjustments to get things back in line. And you're taking some major expansion. You're growing this team and you're taking those risks. Very admirable. Thank you so much for sharing. Ruby, what drives you? I think I just have that innate drive within me to do whatever I do. It's not like I'm in competition with other agents. It's just for me to strive to do the best that I know that I'm capable of doing. I've always had that inner drive. Ruby, why have you been so successful? Mike, I think, I mean, I'm just telling you feedback um, that I'm getting from my clients. As you can tell, I have a lot of energy and I have a lot of passion for what I do, whether it's finding homes for dogs, which I do a lot of to sell in real estate, but I think I'm just very passionate um, about what I do. And when I talk with my clients, they feel that energy. They feel that true desire to truly help them. And they feel my confidence in the fact that I can get the job done. And I think that's one of the reasons I get hired. I don't have the best listing presentation. It's just I just I basically talk with people and I sense what they need and I talk with them about that. But I'm, like I say, I'm certainly not the one who comes in with the best listing presentation by far. Well, it sounds like you show you're caring. You show that you're, you empathize with them. You get in on their side of things and you then look for a solution that will work for them. That is correct. And they definitely know that, that I do take care of them, that commission is not what's driving me. It's, it's trying to help them and get them to the next stage in life. I think they truly see that. Well, Ruby, if you were going to advise a brand new agent just getting in the business, what would you tell them to do first? To start their book of business, go out and talk with people, contact each person that they know, let the people know as they tell you that, that they are in the business, and just um, build, as they say, build that book of business every single day. Go out and meet people, talk with people, join clubs, because that's truly where your business is going to come from. And definitely don't go out and spend a lot of money on internet leads and things like that when you can generate them on your own for zero. Just, it takes a lot of hard work, and it takes being willing to do things that other agents are not going to do. Uh, it also takes um, a certain mindset that you have that you're not going to fail. You're not going to let people who are down on you, people, when you get rejected, you're not going to, you might want to work for that for five seconds and then just move on. But you can't let that pull you back and keep you from going forward. You just got to have that goal and that drive that you're going to be successful and you're going to do whatever it takes. Ruby, do you think the top agent interviews like the one we're doing now with Mastermind Agent are valuable? Oh, absolutely. That's why, <laughs> that's why I contacted you, Mike, about your tapes. I was very interested in it because um, even with the number of transactions we do, I always learn from everybody I speak with because, as I told you, we're far from where we need to be. We're, we're constantly improving every day and restructuring stuff. So I think at that point, you just think you're at the top and you stop building and you stop trying to learn. I think you, you'll be dead. 
No, I, I love the interviews. Well, Ruby, I've come to the end of my questions for today. Do you have any parting thoughts for the listeners? No, but if anybody has any questions, any way we can help them, we'll be more than glad for them to call us. Be glad to help anybody in any way I can. Well, Ruby, you shared your successes and your mistakes. Your strength is personal connection, empathy, and protecting your clients. Your weakness was focusing on rapid growth while ignoring the bottom line. That resulted in huge sales volume, but a negative profit margin. You wisely adjusted, brought in help, and refocused on profit. Now the ship is righted and selling in the strong profitability with reasonable growth. You've taught us that entrepreneurship is a challenge at all levels of production. We must all be diligent. Thank you for sharing and being our top agent of the month. And join us next call when we talk to an agent who was a paramedic and a police officer before getting into real estate and selling 278 homes last year. Find out who he is on the next success call. If you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out, click the subscribe button on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment. I read them all, and it motivates me to keep going and share the top agent success stories with you. Thanks. If you're looking for more ways to generate leads, check out our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television, and their giant database library of video trainings where top agents reveal, demonstrate, and discuss their best lead generation methods. Visit RealGTV, R-E-A-L-G dot TV. If you're low on funds or just want to get the maximum leverage, check out my masterclass webinar titled Top 5 Free Lead Sources for Real Estate Agents. Learn more at FreeLeadTime.com. That's FreeLeadTime.com. Oh, and if you have a real estate friend who needs some inspiration, tell them about the Success Calls podcast. And don't you forget to subscribe right now to hear all the great top agent ideas. Keep moving forward. You've been listening to the Mastermind Agent Interview of the Month Club, where top agents, rising agents, team members, and guests from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the club interviews at www.mastermindagent.com.